For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Governor Stitt has set a special election to replace Jim Inhofe. The senior senator announced last week he will be retiring from the seat he's held since 1994. The candidates are already lining up for the election to coincide with Oklahoma's regular voting this year. Neva, first off, your thoughts on Senator Inhofe leaving office. Well, I mean, it's certainly been an extraordinary political career for Jim Inhofe. I mean, 55 years in public service to the citizens of Oklahoma in various capacities, and certainly uh, in the United States Senate since 1994. So you have to applaud the tremendous uh, role that he's played in terms of uh, his lifetime of, of public service. And I think uh, all of us certainly wish him well. I mean, here's someone who is, uh, I, I think, made a, a very deliberative uh, decision. He said it took, uh, uh, he'd finally made this decision two or three weeks ago. He was at peace with it. Uh, he wanted to be able to spend time uh, with his uh, dear wife, Kay. And so I think um, I probably speak for many Oklahomans who who uh, would wish him the best, although he's still got work to be done. I mean, he he made this move in terms of the timing for people to understand. There was a new state law in la enacted last year that basically set the stage that if, if the senator had not made it known uh, after, if he made it known after March 1st, it would have been uh, a situation where it did not trigger a special election. By doing it before March 1st, it triggered a special election to take place this year in the regular election cycle. So now we will have two United States Senate races uh, on the ballot uh, in 2022, as well as the congressional races and all through the rest of the ballot uh, from governor on down to the local offices. So it, seismic change, seismic change in what's going on. And certainly immediately the dominoes began to fall in terms of uh, the speculation on who's going to run. I think let's, let's look at it this way, who's in? First of all, the first person to jump in was Luke Holland, uh, the, the senator's chief of staff, 35 years old, Bart Bartlesville native, uh, someone who uh, doesn't have a long resume, obviously, but has the endorsement and the full support of the senator leaving that seat. And uh, in fact, uh, Senator Inhofe uh, said that he would campaign for Luke Holland. So he, he starts with that springboard into the race. And then immediately following that, we had Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen from the second district in a video message the day after the announcement on last Saturday uh, saying, I'm in, I'm in it to win it. And uh, certainly he's someone that has, uh, you know, has a profile, has the has the political uh, credentials as as well as the financial wherewithal uh, to be, you know, to be an instant uh, competitor. And we saw Nathan Dom, state senator who had been in the race uh, to challenge James Lankford and then basically said he believed all along that he would be in a special election. So he immediately has pivoted and now is going to be in this uh, open uh, U.S. Senate seat. So uh, I thought it was interesting. He immediately got an endorsement for, from U.S. Senator Rand Paul, uh, who endorsed him uh, just yesterday. Um, and, uh, you know, that makes an interesting setup in terms of probably one of the issues that he'll speak a lot about. And that's he believes that uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci should be uh, fired, should be kind of uh, pushed off the scene. And that's been something Rand Paul 
and Nathan Dom have been very vocal about. So that's the list. We've got a number of people that are out of the race, taking themselves out of discussion. Uh, those include, you know, Governor Kevin Stitt, uh, House Speaker Charles McCall, Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum, um, a number of others. But we also have some big question marks. We have Congressman Kevin Hearn, uh, heavy speculation that he's seriously looking at jumping in the race. He's the congressman from the first district. Another person that even though he's only in his second term is someone who uh, not only has indicated a lot of interest in the Senate seat in the past, but someone who is one of the wealthiest members of Congress. So he's someone that could self-fund immediately be an instant uh, factor in this race. And we have two other folks that I think are very fascinating to watch, and that's uh, former uh, State House Speaker T.W. Shannon and former Congressman J.C. Watts, uh, both of whom were at the state capitol uh, earlier this week, uh, uh, making the rounds, talking to uh, uh, Republican friends and colleagues. So a lot of speculation on both of them appear to be sizing up the race. I think the expectation at this point is that if one of those to get, get in the race, uh, the other one might not, but that's, again, just kind of that capital fodder and speculation. So long and the short, it's fascinating. It's going to be an interesting race. These folks have a short, a, a very short window to really just make their decision and jump in, given the fact that we're 16 weeks out from the primary on June 28th. All right. Boy, it is, it's a good time to be a Republican political consultant in Oklahoma. Uh, this, and, and, and Neva, you know, I, uh, normally I, I want to jump in, but I was just fascinating hearing, hearing your take of, of, uh, of the rundown here, but just, I, I, I can't think or even, you know, and, you know, even beyond remembering just, uh, you know, my understanding of Oklahoma history, it's, it's really difficult to think of an election year that could be this seismic, as you said, in the shift uh, and, and, and bringing new people onto, onto the landscape for a lot of Oklahomans. I mean, um, you, you went through uh, a lot of the folks that are looking to replace Senator Inhofe, uh, but you know, if, if uh, Congressman Hearn gets into that race, you know, who's jumping into that first district congressional race? And the first district, that could be one of those handful of races where you could have a, a potentially, depending on who the candidates are and how they line up, a really competitive uh, Democratic candidate there, uh, you know, that could be, you know, that could be a potential Democratic pickup seat. Uh, I think it's difficult to, it, it'll be really hard, but much more so than the fifth, you know, after after redistricting. And so if Hearn vacates, you've got that. The second now is open uh, with Mark Wayne Mullen deciding to jump into the United States Senate race. You know, the speculation had been uh, whether Charles McCall was going, Speaker Charles McCall was going to run for United States Senate. Neva, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Speaker McCall has not taken his name out of consideration for that second district congressional race. Is that, I? Yeah, I whether he's taken it out or not, I'm not uh, certain. I do know that one of the statements that he made in discussing the Senate race was that he had work to be done, uh, you know, in his role as the uh, Speaker of the House and that he was going to focus on that. So whether that shifts based on, you know, based on an open congressional seat, I think we'll just have to wait and see. Well, you know, this, you, you go back to when Mike Sinar had a primary opponent and was beaten a primary and then opened the door for a guy named Tom Coburn uh, to, to enter the stage. This is, these, these kind of uh, instances like this are, uh, possible, you know, open the, you know, the the timing, timing and all is is everything in these, and these do not come open very often. Um, and when I say these, 
U.S. Senate seats. Now we've got two of them. Uh, only one of them is open, but you got an open U.S. Senate seat, open congressional seats, and then open state legislative seats. You know, just take, for example, uh, Josh West, uh, State Representative Josh West. Um, and, you know, if he runs for the second congressional district, which uh, a lot of folks are speculating that if he jumped into that race, he would be uh, an early front runner, um, especially with his uh, background in the military and with uh, the world on war footing right now. A guy like uh, Josh West, uh, a Purple Heart uh, combat veteran, uh, is, is going to be a, a really attractive candidate in that Republican primary for that. Well, if, if Representative West decides to run for Congress, that opens up that state legislative seat. And I think that we'll, we could see a lot of new faces in Oklahoma politics. And even though the one uh, opening that I think is, is most likely for Democrats to be able to take advantage of would be that first district congressional race, even these statewide races, uh, you know, you know the, the statewide U.S. Senate race, uh, if you had a Democrat that wanted to get into that open seat, uh, the idea of a Democrat unseating Lankford or a Democrat unseating Inhofe, everybody knows that that's tilting at windmills. But in an open seat, you have a chance to, to run a campaign, raise issues that are important to you, and also raise your profile to be able to work on, the, on those issues later. And, you know, thinking back, he didn't run for an open seat, but he ran uh, uh, against Senator Inhofe himself. You know, State Senator Andrew Rice. Uh, it was a guy who, who jumped in, had a, a very uphill battle and wanting to even you know, win that uh, U.S. Senate seat and ultimately didn't, uh, but raised his profile. And it's, I think, allowed him to move on and be a, a more effective voice uh, for a lot of uh, issues, in particular health care and mental health care uh, services in Oklahoma. So there's there's a lot, a lot of moving pieces here. It's going to be really exciting over the next few weeks to see where it all shakes out. And it will just be a few weeks. You know, filings coming up next month. Uh, so speculation at some point will become some certain once uh, once the filing period is over with. A trial on Oklahoma executions is taking place right now. Plaintiffs say the state's protocol is unconstitutional, although executions have already resumed and more could come depending on the outcome of the hearings. Ryan, what is the issue here in the trial? The issue is whether Oklahoma's current lethal injection protocol, and in particular the use of the sedative midazolam, uh, creates a, uh, a likelihood of cruel and unusual death uh, for those that are condemned to die in the state of Oklahoma. The medical experts that had been testifying at this at this trial, uh, you know, were presenting pretty uh, uh, grave evidence uh, of the condemned persons, the executed individuals' lungs. You know, they they talked about how one of them in, a, in an autopsy they they cut it open and just fluid came out of it and. You know, the, the uh, concern being that if uh, we're using midazolam, is midazolam, one, really uh, sedating folks uh, so that they're unconscious, and the physicians that testified said no, that no amount of midazolam, even though it's a sedative, is going to render you generally unconscious so that you don't feel pain. Uh, and then the second is whether or not it creates this uh, condition where your, your lungs, and I'm by far, I'm not a physician, I'm not pretending to be one, but your, your lungs fill with fluid uh, and you essentially drown to death. Um, and in our uh, constitutional scheme uh, of government, the Eighth Amendment prohibits cruel and unusual punishment and drowning an individual to death uh, in their own fluid seems to fit that bill. Now I'll just go, I wanna just real quick go back to how extraordinary it is that we're having this trial. We've known that this trial was coming for months and months and months. Uh, that we had executions 
that were set knowing this was happening, four individuals that were plaintiffs in this trial, um, and not only set but carried out, that the state of Oklahoma has executed individuals that were plaintiffs in this case before the federal judge has even reached a verdict. And to me, that's that, you know. You know, regardless of what happens at the outcome of this, um, you know, to me that that's an extraordinary thing for the government to do, uh, to carry out an execution on somebody that we knew was going to have a trial challenging the very constitutionality of the manner of execution that the state was going to use to kill them. Neva. Well, I think it is interesting in, in the uh, uh, testimony during this trial in federal court this week. I mean, there there has been a give and take in information. I mean, Ryan talked about uh, you know what uh, what had been said, but even in in terms of the discussion on whether an inmate was still conscious uh, when the pulmonary edema developed. I mean, even under cross-examination, the expert said that he didn't know for sure. So, I mean, I think that it's a classic uh, situation where as you go through a, a, a trial, you have two sides that make their case. And I, so I think there's still many things to be brought out, many things certainly for, uh, uh, for this uh, judge that, to contemplate and consider after uh, the trial concludes and he has to take time to uh, uh, come up with his ruling, which many expect will take several weeks because of the complexity and, and the seriousness of the matter at hand. So I think this is something that uh, you know many folks are watching, but I think it, uh, uh, it will be interesting to see uh, at the end of this uh, what, what, what outcome is reached. Certainly, the the data that's been gathered has been from multiple states, but right now we're focused on what it's going to have in terms of its impact on the state of Oklahoma. A settlement in the lawsuit against the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority allows for the state's seed to sale program to move forward. Ryan, what is seed to sale and how will it impact Oklahomans in the medical marijuana industry? Well, and in full disclosure, I represent Metric, the Oklahoma's seed to sale provider, uh, mm -hmm. as their their lobbyist uh, in in the before the Oklahoma legislature and the executive branch. Uh, so just want to get that out there. But but seed to sale, whether it's Metric or any of the other providers that provide seed to sale tracking uh, around the nation for medical marijuana programs or recreational marijuana programs or both, what you're trying to ultimately accomplish is to create a closed loop system so that the state is able to uh, determine inventory from, from the moment that you have a viable plant to the point that a product, uh, in, at least in Oklahoma's case, ends up with a patient. And, and then to, in all of the steps in between, guarantee and ensure compliance and accountability. Um, this was supposed to go online back in uh, April of 2021. Uh, and the litigation was filed. Um, and shortly after the litigation was filed, the state's attorney general office agreed to a temporary restraining order that's put this on hold until the restraining order was lifted uh, last Friday uh, by an agreed order. I wanna uh, be careful to say that the litigation continues. Uh, this, this was a partial settlement uh, and it only lifted the temporary restraining order. So there will still be issues moving forward. But I, I can't stress enough uh, that seed to sale tracking uh, is the most important tool for regulators uh, to get the medical marijuana in industry uh, compliant, um, to make sure that the folks that are playing by the rules 
dotting all their I's, crossing all their T's, and then doing it again twice, that, that they're the ones that are succeeding. When we saw, uh, and so, you know, and I'll just, you know, I'm going to you know, use a quote here from, from uh, Adria Berry. Uh, Adria is the executive director at the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority. She said, lifting this injunction clears the single biggest roadblock to OMA enforcing the law. Uh, this is a crucial step toward cracking down on licensees operating illegally or skirting the system within Oklahoma's medical marijuana industry. So when we talk about the folks that are operating outside the law and then trying to get their illegal medical marijuana into our market, seed to sale is the most important tool to stop that. It's also the most important tool to make sure that people that are operating licensed businesses are complying with all of their testing requirements. Um, and, and that we as, as patients and myself as a patient uh, that we can have confidence uh, that what we're getting is is safe uh, and has been tested. And so I think that as this happens, we've, we've got some implementation timeline that's not just going to hit licensees all at once. They've got 90 days to implement. But once we see this online, I, I truly believe that, uh, that the people of Oklahoma will see a, a real shift in Oklahoma's medical marijuana program toward one that's more compliant uh, and accountable to the law. Neva. Well, and I think that shift will be welcomed by uh, most all Oklahomans. I mean, they want the bad actors out of the business. And so I agree with you, Ryan. I mean, that uh, this gives uh, this gives OMMA the ability to really crack down on these lic these licensees that are operating illegally, that are skirting the law, that are not doing what they should be doing. And it's critical. I mean, we, uh, we talk about uh, all the time, I mean, just the burgeoning number numbers of uh, dispensaries and grow operations and just the, the magnitude of what medical marijuana is in Oklahoma right now. And the fact that we've had a situation where we have the state agency that has been tasked with with dealing with this, with addressing this uh, in a very uh, in a very certain manner, has basically just been sitting there with their hands tied, waiting to uh, waiting to get some resolution uh, in the courtroom. So hopefully, all of this will um, eventually work itself out uh, more quickly than what we've seen, having to wait for more than a year. I mean, with this being on hold. Um, and I think going forward, it, uh, it's incumbent upon lawmakers as well as the executive branch, uh, the uh, Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority and their folks uh, to all be working in earnest together to make sure that, uh, that they accomplish the stated goal. Ryan, I know you were representing the plaintiffs in this uh, or the defendants in this. Uh, what, 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 was the, what was the argument against this? Why would, why would people be opposed to it? Well, and, and to be clear, I, I represented them as their lobbyist. Uh, I'm, I'm not their I'm not their right, legal counsel. Um, yeah, you know, the you know there there were several arguments. I I think that um, and and uh, we're it's difficult to comment on the litigation because it's still going on. Those right. those matter those matters are still in front of the court. There's there remain motions to dismiss to end the lawsuit outright. Um, and Frank, those those could have been heard by the court last Thursday, uh, with the exception of Oklahoma weather. Uh, we we had this we had this yeah I, I had I had two hearings uh, related to marijuana on uh, last Thursday. I can't and one of them was this hearing uh, in front of Judge Mai in Oklahoma County around metric and implementation of seed to sale. I had been telling lawmakers in particular. Uh, for months now, just wait, uh, you know, just, just wait. 
we get to we get to February, we're going to have this hearing, and uh, like we're confident this is going to be dismissed. We're going to move forward with seed to sale implementation. Just wait. And then, of course, uh, you know, the day before, everybody's on the phone wondering, is the courthouse going to be closed? And sure enough, it was. Thankfully, uh, you know, cooler heads prevailed, and there was this this uh, this partial settlement that allowed the temporary restraining order to be lifted. So implementation can go into effect because I, I can tell you the hundred plus uh, bills related to medical marijuana at the state legislature and uh, the real problems that many of those bills are seeking to address uh, are a direct result of Oklahoma not having a functioning mandatory seed to sale system. And that's about to change. And we've got a 90 day uh, runway to that. Um, and, you know, I, again, you know, the, the issues that are still at hand uh, and, and the challenges to whether uh, the state of Oklahoma or the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority have had the ability to implement seed to sale to begin with, you know, the court, again, will still have a chance to resolve that. In the meantime, though, lawmakers, licensees, patients, and, and all Oklahomans, uh, I think, can breathe, breathe a big sigh of relief that this big regulatory, important regulatory tool is about to come online for us. Last week, we talked about the scandal surrounding congressional candidate Abby Broyles and an alleged drunken incident at a sleepover with girls. This week, Broyles appeared in the news again, this time for a tweet saying, quote, you guys win, I'll just kill myself. Her brother later tweeted Broyles was safe and the original message was deleted. Ryan, what do you think about this latest incident? I think it's tragic. I think that it's it's incredibly sad. I think that um, it's it's uh, even even more sad that uh, when uh, Abby Broyles put that tweet out, that there were you know trolls on the internet that took that took advantage of that to to double down uh, on on uh, just the the kind of bullying and harassment that I think happens online. You know whatever griefs or complaints or disagreements. Uh, that anybody has uh, with Abby Broyles or, or any sort of a public figure. Um, I think that it's it's really easy to forget that behind all of the tweets, behind all of the social, any other social media posts uh, and the images that get built up around these people, uh, at the end of the day, uh, they're human beings, just like us. Uh, and, you know, they, they've got um, we, we all we all carry our own burdens, whatever those may be, uh, some heavier than others. And uh, I think we just we need to remember that. And even even if you uh, disagree with somebody or you find somebody's behavior uh, unacceptable, um, you know, maybe that means that they probably shouldn't be a candidate for office. But at the same time, I think we all need to walk into these situations with a with a lot of grace uh, about about them as human beings. I also just want to say real quick as well, uh, I haven't visited him with, with him about this, but I've got to imagine that Trey Savage at, at Nondoc uh, you know, probably got, you know, was, you know, the, the shock of that tweet hit everybody at the Capitol yesterday, but I've got to imagine Trace that broke this story uh, spelt, uh, felt some you know, special uh, hit from that as well. I just want to say that, you know, I, even though uh, I'm saying have, have grace for, for Abby here, Trace and Nondoc did the exact right thing in reporting this um, and, and, and bringing this issue to, to the public light. So, you know, um, we, we can we can have grace for Abby and, and support local journalism at the same time. They're they are not mutually exclusive. And, you know, I hope that Abby gets the, the help that she needs. Uh, and I hope that everybody out there 
uh, recognizes that if you or a loved one are contemplating suicide, that there are options and services available to you, uh, and that uh, you know to to reach out. If you've got if you've got a friend that makes makes a statement like this, it it may seem uh, like hyperbole, or maybe they're just uh, blowing off. Take it serious. Uh, always take it serious. Check let's you know this. These are still hard times. We're coming out of the pandemic. Still hard times. You know, let's let's all check in on each other and and try to be human beings. Neva. Well, I I agree in large part with what you uh, what you've just said, Ryan. And I think uh, I think the takeaway is this: uh, whatever whatever occurred leading up to that tweet, I think that um, most Oklahomans would say that if any individual is in a place where they uh, need to take time, focus on their mental health, do, do get uh, get professional help as needed to be able to address those issues. I think uh, I think this is the world we live in. I think uh, most families uh, certainly um, uh, can be sensitive to that because of uh, circumstances, perhaps of those loved ones or those that they know. It is uh, we've seen the statistics on suicide in the state of Oklahoma. They're staggering. Uh, so it is a serious problem. No one should take uh, um, someone's uh, uh, tweet or cry out uh, nonchalantly if it uh, has a serious tone to it, as obviously this one did. But uh, more importantly, I think, as Ryan said, perhaps uh, uh, it is a demonstration of uh, sometimes it's time to step away when you've been in the political battles, you've been in the political heat of the of the moment, and uh, not be you know not just be drawn back in because of what others may, uh, you know, may want you to do, but figure out uh, for every individual, figure out whether it's the time and the place and the thing to do. So uh, hopefully we won't uh, have much more conversation about this type of uh, subject uh, uh, during this during this campaign season or any campaign season to come. And we do want to remind everybody that the National Suicide Hotline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-800-273-8255, or you can visit the National Suicide Hotline website. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at kosu.org.